Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 20, Dealing with HIV. My guest, Kenyon Farrell, was named a modern black history hero by Black Entertainment Television. He is an award-winning writer, activist, and strategist. He has worked on local and national campaigns on issues related to criminalization, mass imprisonment, homelessness, health justice, and LGBT rights. Mr. Farrow is currently the senior writer with TheBody.com, a news and information site focused on HIV, LGBT, health, and social justice, and serves on the board of the New York Transgender Advocacy Group. Kenyon Farrow, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thank you very much. So glad to be here. I'd like to start by having you explain what you do and how you got there, because your background is a little different than most people I have on this program. So if you could please start there. Um, sure. Uh, I think the best way to kind of describe how I got to the work that I do, um, I moved to New York 20 years ago from Cleveland, Ohio, my hometown. Um, I was actually an actor. I studied uh, theater and did a lot of classical theater here in New York City. Um, but I moved uh, to New York at a time when it was just when Seattle WTO protests were happening. Um, and then a couple of years later, 9-11 happened. And I felt as though I really needed to kind of make a shift <laughs> in my work and, and really get more involved in uh, kind of community organizing and, and issues every day. I started doing community organizing work with an organization called Fierce in New York City, which was organizing LGBT youth of color, uh, primarily around uh, issues of gentrification and, uh, and criminalization, uh, police violence against um, LGBT youth of color. And then later with uh, queer economic justice uh, here in New York City, organizing uh, LGBT people in the New York City shelter system. And I think uh, kind of along the way, uh, HIV became an issue, probably because as a black man who was just witnessing a number of my uh, black and female transgender women friends or people who were beginning to disclose to me that they were in fact living with HIV, um, and I just began to kind of see it more and more as a political issue. Uh, and so I started, you know, incorporating, you know, HIV into the work that, you know, made sense around criminalization. It made sense around LGBT use. Um, and so from there, uh, I, I really made a pivot to really focus my work on HIV, uh, about 2012 when the Supreme Court made the decision basically, uh, to say that as far as the Affordable Care Act is concerned, uh, it was okay for, uh, the private insurance mandate to, you know, the individual mandate that everyone talks about to remain in place. However, the states could make a decision about whether or not they would expand Medicaid. And to me, I actually thought 
the decision to not expand Medicaid was going to greatly impact the places that uh, HIV was most prominent in the United States, and that is largely the American South. And I knew that the seven states were not going to expand Medicaid. And so I actually was looking for a job that I could do uh, the kind of federal policy work, social safety net, you know, issues in healthcare, you know, particularly looking at uh, the impact on, on HIV. And so I started as the U.S. and Global Health Policy Director with Treatment Action Group and uh, TAG. It kind of was an outgrowth of Act Up New York in the early 90s and is a think tank that focuses on sort of strategies to end HIV as an epidemic um, in the U.S. and globally. All throughout my career uh, as, a, as an activist, as an organizer, and a strategist, I also wrote. And uh, I went back to grad school for journalism in 2006. And this, my current position as a senior editor of TheBody.com, which is a news and information website about HIV and the epidemic that exists in the United States right now, where I, you know, kind of, you know, lead our, our coverage uh, about about HIV and the epidemic. And a large part of that is also about what's happening in terms of the shifting landscape of healthcare, as even, you know, the Affordable Care Act has been has been chipped away at, and is the attempt to dismantle it. And so the question becomes, what is the future for, you know, HIV prevention, treatment, and care in this country? For which, you know, to be transparent, I don't think it's possible to do all of what needs to be done if we don't have a single-payer universal coverage system through which, you know, the current Medicare for All framework uh, is, you know, is that system at this point. And so that's my interest in this conversation. So that brings up a question. For people who have HIV, what problems do they have accessing and affording care? So one of the challenges uh, that people living with HIV have in terms of access and care is that the system of care is very patchwork system. Um, part of what AIDS activists did uh, through ACT UP and some of the other kind of political formations that happened in the 80s and early 90s was to push the federal government to create a system for people living with HIV to get access to medical care at a time early on when there were no real viable treatment. Um, and largely because the sort of mainstream healthcare system did not want to deal with people with AIDS. And so, you know, in the 1990s, a rise like Care Act passes, which creates uh, an infrastructure for people who are living with HIV to have access to care. Uh, and then some, you know, additional pieces have happened through Medicare and Medicaid. And then, of course, there's private insurance. So, a lot of the problem with the current infrastructure is that it's just very patchwork. So you have, you know, a system up until the Affordable Care Act where, you know, people who were diagnosed with HIV could be kicked off of their private health insurance if they happen to have health insurance, first and foremost. And even after the Affordable Care Act passed, we still saw different strategies that the private insurers were using to try to keep people living with HIV off of the uh, roles. And so what they would do is basically sort of put, you know, HIV medications on their, you know, top tier, uh, drug formularies, which meant the out of pocket costs for the person living with HIV would be higher than, than other, what other drugs would cost. Right? And the drug pricing for HIV drugs is a whole other part of 
the compensation agent. There's no regulation basically on drug pricing for antiretroviral drugs cost uh, an exorbitant amount of money to our, our health system. So that's sort of one problem. Um, and then the other problem with Medicaid and Medicare is that if you live in a state that hasn't expanded Medicaid, for instance, a lot of the states that did not expand Medicaid have very strict guidelines on who can access Medicaid. And so the way the federal rules are written at this point, if you're living with HIV, you have to kind of get sick enough. We have to basically have an age value in order to get access to Medicaid. And what we understand now about the course of the virus is that um, it's actually better for people to get access to care and to start antiretroviral medication pretty much as soon as they are diagnosed. All the data points to the fact that people do better, they live longer, they have you know healthier lives if they start treatment sooner rather than waiting until they have basically you know a weak immune system to then start care. But if you live in certain states, you know you still are dealing with that issue. You still have a situation where, again, in a lot of the states that southern states, the states that have not expanded Medicaid to the Affordable Care Act, if you can get access to the vinylized care system, you know, that is, is better than nothing. And the vinylized care system actually provides pretty good care, but, you know, oftentimes, like, there's just not the infrastructure of, you know, HIV specialists. And so people still in places like Georgia and Mississippi, et cetera, can wait a long time before they can get access to care through, you know, Ryan White. And then the last thing I'll say that is also complicated is, uh, and it's a problem for our entire healthcare system is just, you know, having the income requirements or if you happen to be working, just so much churning to different kind of payers. So if you, you know, have a job and you have private insurance and you're covered, but then you lose the job and then you have to file to, you know, get access to the Ryan White care system or to get on Medicaid or whatever. And sometimes I, I have personal friends where probably through no fault of their own, but like a case manager didn't, you know, resubmit their, their paperwork for refiling for Medicaid on time. And then they showed up and go, you know, for their prescription for medication at a pharmacy and, uh, they had no coverage, right? And so part of the problem is just that there are too many kind of ways for people to fall through the cracks in the system, which displays people from staying in care over, over the long haul. And so I think creating a system that is better for people living with HIV, we really need one system where people can get access to care that is affordable, that the medications are affordable and easily accessed quickly as opposed to what we have now, which is a lot of bureaucratic nonsense and ways that kind of make it difficult for people to actually access the care that they need. Well, one of the things you mentioned is people just getting access to care. But assuming they can get access to care, how much is paying for that care a problem? One of the kind of interesting dynamics that they be on, on the one hand, that they get access to running like services enrolled in Medicaid and are, you know, able to have, you know, access to care that way. People can get access to care on, on one level. So 
you know, their, you know, medications are paid for through, you know, different payer systems generally. And that's typically if they have, you know, not private insurance, but if they're in the, the public program. And uh, for Medicaid, for instance, I think that, you know, 30% of people living with HIV in the United States are on Medicaid. And I think a, a great number on Medicare, increasingly because people with HIV are living longer because these, you know, medications are working and so people are alive longer and rolling into Medicare in a lot of instances once they are over 65. In some respects, if people actually have a, you know, kind of doctors who are knowledgeable about the virus, who that they are in a place where they can, you know, they have transportation, you can get to their appointments, to those sorts of things, they actually, people can get access to care uh, in, in that sense. But in a great stretch of time, in a lot of places, we see that there's still so much bureaucracy that people still struggle to even get that access. So, for instance, this year, we published two personal stories at thebody.com from two uh, young gay men who are living with HIV, both of whom moved from different places to Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Atlanta, Georgia is a huge metropolitan city where the Centers for Disease Control headquarters are in Atlanta, Georgia. And we had two young men who described trying to get into uh, care in Atlanta, Georgia, and went for months and months filling out papers and going back and forth to appointments with case managers and interested care people or whatever and struggled to get into care. And it just so happened that both of these young men were actually people who, in their former jobs, one in Florida and one in Boston, Massachusetts, who actually did that work for other nonprofit organizations. So they knew how the system was supposed to work. And they still couldn't actually navigate the system in Atlanta, Georgia, where there is one of the cities that has, you know, one of the highest HIV in the country, but is also the place where the Centers for Disease Control is and you would think that that would be a place where there would be probably some of the, the best care. But, but they still struggle. And so the challenge for a lot of people is just actually getting into the system because of just so many barriers. But once people actually get in the system and can get, you know, a doctor or, or whatever, their, you know, medications and their care is generally covered. But one of the, again, one of the problems with that is, is that you still have to kind of, through our current system, reapply every, you know, year or whatever for coverage. And if you make, you know, X amount of dollars more this year than you did last year, and then you don't then qualify for Medicaid, even if people can get, you know, relatively good care, it's hard for them to stay in it just by the virtue of our kind of patchwork system of payers. And how do you think that a single-payer Medicare for All system would help that? And do you think that it would help people live even longer? One of the things that we see already in states that have, you know, created more robust healthcare systems, some of which, you know, was done through the Affordable Care Act, we see rates of HIV diagnosis going down. This year, the state of Louisiana, which has had New Orleans and Baton Rouge for probably the last 15 or 20 years, have been at the top of, you know, American cities with the highest HIV rate in the country going back to 20 years. And for Louisiana, which expanded Medicaid after Bobby Jindal and the new governor established the Medicaid expansion program, and now rates of HIV go down even in Louisiana. 
One of the things that we see is that if people have access to basic primary care coverage through Medicaid or Medicare, for instance, then first of all, people who don't know that they have HIV can get access to care. We already know in this country that on average, from the time a person contracts HIV to the time that they're diagnosed, on average, it's about three years, which is way too long. And that tells you something that people aren't getting HIV tests, they aren't being offered HIV tests, or they don't have health insurance and then don't therefore get access to kind of regular preventative care through which you would get an HIV test or you should be offered an HIV test at least every year by your doctor. So I think when we look at what we see happening in the states that have expanded coverage to now, you know, have coverage of, you know, 90 to 95% of people living in the state have some kind of insurance coverage, we see HIV rates decreasing. So I think when we talk about a Medicare for all system where we don't have to deal with kinds of bureaucratic systems where people have to like sign up, where people have to get sick enough in order to qualify for certain benefits, but that there's a baseline of comprehensive coverage that comes at no or low cost out of the pockets of individuals we see people use that care. And then once people also have access to care who are on antiretroviral therapy, if they get to what we call sort of uh, undetectable viral load, we know that those people cannot transmit the virus to other people. We know in HIV now that getting viral suppression is really important for people who are HIV positive, not only for their, their own health, certainly, but also in terms of preventing transmitting the virus elsewhere. And so we see in a Medicare for All system where more people had access to, again, quality health care that was, you know, covered, you know, prevention and treatment. And not only would you reduce the likelihood of new HIV diagnoses in the country, uh, but you would also increase the level of health and viability of people living with HIV so that they're healthier longer, that they are, you know, spending, you know, not time in emergency rooms or other kinds of costly care, and that they also just, you know, live longer and are healthy themselves. And so, I think when we talk about a Medicare for all system for people living with HIV, we would do, I think, a great service because we'd be providing everyone in the country with the same baseline of health care that would benefit people who are HIV negative and people who are more vulnerable to contracting HIV and then people who are living with HIV would uh, be healthier and would be less likely to transmit the virus up. You bring up a couple of very interesting points. So if we had Medicare for all, people could get constant care and the infection rate would go down, which would lower costs because then less people would need to be treated for HIV. Their viral load would go down so they wouldn't be spreading the infection, and that would be beneficial. And I think those benefits would apply to other diseases as well. So as somebody who's not in the risk group for HIV, why should I be concerned about this, and why should I want Medicare for all? Obviously, I support it, but what would you say to that question? Well, I would say to that person that I am a person who is not living with HIV myself. I'm also HIV negative, but the epidemic has impacted millions of people in the United States um, over the course of the last uh, nearly 40 years since we discovered it in the country. 
and globally. And so I think it's important for us to think of ourselves as, as people of, of conscience and of, of ethics and morality. So we care about the lives of other people, if it, even if it doesn't immediately impact us. But I think that there are people who are also thinking about the self-interest and the bottom line. I think that, um, one, if we make sure that people who are currently living with HIV um, have access to uh, the kind of health care uh, that is, you know, quality health care that is cheap or low cost and affordable and that people have access to medication that they need, that people are able to then um, just kind of live, you know, productive, you know, healthy lives and contribute to society in, in meaningful ways. And I think that benefits all of us. I also think that we also reduce the overall cost of health care for uh, everyone if we uh, begin to, um, you know, kind of take care of, of people who have chronic illnesses and also do the kinds of things structurally that then prevent you know, a reduced number of, of people, of new people who are living with chronic conditions, including HIV. So I think, you know, just from a, a kind of cost savings perspective, you know, it roughly costs, uh, I believe, somewhere around $25,000 a year for antiretroviral medication for a person living with HIV. It is like a lot of money when you consider that there are about a million people living with HIV, uh, about a million million and two hundred thousand people in the race of the United States. So from a cost savings perspective, it actually really matters a lot to all of us that we continue to make sure that people who are living with HIV have access to medications and they stay healthy and are and don't have avoidable hospitalizations, you know, because they're valid if they're and taken care of. But then also those things that um if a virus load is suppressed and keeping them healthy, they also can't transmit the virus to other people. And save additional costs to, you know, our healthcare system. So I think, you know, it's important for those reasons as well that whether you're living with HIV or not, that this is still, uh, you know, a virus that impacts millions of people in this country, whether they live with HIV or not, but also, uh, impacts our entire healthcare system. Well, I want to emphasize a point you made. You said that if we catch the disease early and get people treated, they can be healthier. That applies to anybody. If they get to doctors earlier, even if they have something, it hasn't progressed as much. Early treatment can save a lot of time and money and make people more productive. And I think that's a point that's often overlooked. It needs to be emphasized more. Absolutely. I mean, I think from an economist point of view that for the states that have done the least, are the states where people in general are the sickest. People's ability to work, to get to work, to create their own kind of business opportunities, their ability to go to school and advance their education. It impacts so many things. In our culture, you know, we quickly the right-wing promotes this idea about people just kind of, you know, sucking resources off of the system, right? As opposed to these things actually help people, especially if we're talking about healthcare. It should be of no surprise to anyone that some of the states that haven't expanded, you know, Medicaid are states where people have like the highest number of chronic conditions. Societies where people are, you know, healthier and living longer and are taken care of are doing better in a lot of different ways. So it's important that we think about, you know, not just 
what we often do, I think, with people, particularly living with HIV, so highly stigmatized in our culture, is sort of a blame about how you contracted the HIV, so therefore it's your fault, as opposed to societies in which there are great kinds of disparities that make it more likely that some people will contract HIV than other people, and therefore it's our job as a society to fix those inequities to keep everybody as, as healthy and living well as possible. I have interviewed two economists in the series, and the economic reasons for Medicare for All are compelling. And one of the things that you mentioned was entrepreneurship. They said entrepreneurship would likely to be increased because people wouldn't have to worry about health care. I'd like to know, before we end, if there's anything that you would like to add. I think it's important for people to know in terms of kind of HIV and Medicare for All, and particularly on the question of prevention. So we have, at this point, you know, one current drug that's approved for the prevention of HIV. So if you take it once a day, it will prevent HIV to almost a, a, a negligible uh, risk. But that drug is also very, very expensive. And so I think fairly, when we think about uh, kind of Medicare for All systems, we also have to be thinking about, you know, kind of drug pricing and controlling some drug costs so that people have, people living with HIV have access to medications to keep them healthy. And ultimately, treatment for people living with HIV is prevention. You know, medicine now that will prevent people from contracting HIV, but also prevention also matters for HIV in terms of drug costs. We have a, a current tool that is um, very, very effective at preventing HIV as much as, if not more, frankly, better than economy in terms of prevention. But the cost of the actual drug is, you know, cost public health programs a lot of money to implement. And uh, we need to be thinking about Medicare for all for prevention as well. I would agree with that. Kenyon, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.